Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the final installment in our episode 40 AirVenture 2018 series. This is 40 Delta, the fourth part in this episode. And I thought what we do is just kind of wrap up our Oshkosh trip. We'll talk about those remaining things that we didn't get a chance to report on earlier. Any interesting highlights that we want to just kind of talk about. And then our trips home. And that'll put kind of the, the, uh, the final touch on our Oshkosh 2018 experience. So with that, um, who wants to go first? I'll step up and uh, do my little. Since I was the, the first of our little trio to leave, um, I can uh, give a, a little bit of a briefing on uh, exiting uh, Air Venture midweek, um, what it takes, and the challenges I faced on my way home. Um, myself and uh, another Sonics pilot. We left at 7 a.m. Um, without escort to uh, from the uh, from Camp Sonics all the way through uh, home built camping warbirds. There was no escorts. There was no communication. Uh, we were monitoring the uh, the ground and tower, which happened to be on the same frequency. Um, they gave us no direction. All the way up until we hit runway three, what is it, uh, one eight uh, left, one eight right, the big one. Uh, at that point, they said um, the the Ford trimotor was coming in. And so we kind of just kind of scurried away, uh, away from it so that it could come on through. They didn't call us directly. Uh, they just, we just kind of moved away as it, as the uh, trimotor came in to where it was ready to go for uh, its rides in the morning. Uh, at that point, we rejoined um, and they gave us clearance. They said, Sonic's flight of two, are you a flight? And I responded, yes, we were a flight. And they gave us clearance to take off on 1-8 uh, right. Uh, very not... Uh, you know, it, it was it was just uh, you know you're clear clear to go. There was no other traffic, and uh, we took off as a flight of two. Um, Bob headed a little further south. I continued a little bit to the right, and uh, once we were out of the uh, the Delta airspace, um, I vectored back to Reesburg Air or uh, Reesburg, uh, Wisconsin, to refuel. Uh, landed without episode, uh, launched again uh, uh, using the uh, Jim Hickey methodology of just putting in your destination airport, which is back in Colorado, and then in flight as uh, fuel burn and wind uh, dictates, just pick your place to land for uh, refueling, which happened to be somewhere in western Iowa. Don't even remember the name. Um, refueled uh, the uh, ADSB 
uh, weather was iffy going through Nebraska. It turns out that ADSB only gives you weather when you have a tower that it can uh, read. And so I was seeing ADSB from uh, my phone was based on internet. My iPad in the airplane was based on my uh, ADSB receiver. They were old, old, out of date, and uh, a little bit trouble troublesome. I know Jim Hickey bought XM radio uh, weather, and I can see now why he did that because I couldn't see 100 miles or 200 miles ahead to uh, figure out where I could land um, or, or how I should plan my route coming back. I was lucky. Uh, um, you know, it was VFR. It was clear. I dropped in at Reedsburg and then uh, someplace in, in western Iowa and then someplace in uh, Lexington, Nebraska, uh, between thunderstorms, got new weather because I was on the Internet when I was on the, at the FBO and then uh, launched and went around a, a giant supercell and then came back home. So that was my trip back home. John, it's interesting because there, there was quite a bit of discussion before you guys left about how to get out of there early in the morning before the flagmen show up. And I think you did the same thing you did last year, which is just when it's time to go, you just start up and go. And if there's no flagmen, you just keep going until you hit the runway. Oh, yeah. And, and th- it's exactly the same as it was last time. We were monitoring tower. We're following the procedures. We did not call tower. Um. And we just kind of kept inching forward until, you know, we're kind of told not to do something. And we ne- we were never told not to do anything. And then suddenly, hey, you're clear to go. Take off. So when I left, I had kind of a similar incident. Um, I was not early, early. Uh, people were leaving before me. But it was around 7. And there were very few flagmen actually out directing traffic. So we taxied all the way to the uh, the big taxiway that goes between home-built camping and Warbirds, that, that east-west taxiway there. And there was one guy all the way down, kind of close to 3-6. Uh, and he saw us coming. There was a, another plane coming the opposite direction. We were kind of meeting head-on. And I don't know where this guy was going. But the, uh, the flagman got really kind of in a bit of a huff. He was trying to tell us to stop, but he was so far out that we couldn't see him. Of course, the sun is, is right behind him, and so it's shining in our face, and we can't really see him. So we stopped. Uh, the other plane turned off and went to wherever he was. And by the time we started moving again to get up there, this flagman was all in a huff. He was uh, gesturing quite animated about, you know, didn't you see me? I said stop. It's like I was 100 yards back there. I can't hardly see you. You don't have paddles or, or anything. So it was a little bit of a, a miscommunication. Uh, I would have hoped that he would have maybe just calmed down just a, a smidge. Uh, at no point did we ever get within 100 yards of each other. But this guy uh, seemed to be just a little bit rough on, uh, on on communicating what he was trying to get us to do. Well, I, I guess the, the thing that really bothered me was there was no there was no flagman. And so we're just slowly going down that same taxiway past Warbirds. And all we hear on the tower was tri-motor being cleared to where, you know, they stage just north of uh, the taxiway at uh, at Warbirds uh, to do the, the rides. And this Ford tri-motor is, you know, we're, we're basically having to just get out of the way and we're not being told to. We're just kind of, in, you know, it's, it's a dance. And uh, 
we ended up doing a 360 going all the way around and following the, the tri-motor in because he was coming in. There was no stopping him. Uh, but, it, you know, it wasn't dangerous. It was just kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's, you know, you consider AirVenture to be a highly regulated area. And we were, uh, we were making it up as we were going along. Well, John, kind of getting back to your ADSB thing, I understood you were, you were traveling fairly low level on your way back. Do you remember what your altitude above ground was? Oh, that that was interesting. Um, yeah, through uh, all the way through Iowa and into Nebraska, my um, the the weather was really a- absolutely weird. Um, ground wind or surface level wind was. W- below 10 knots but if you got a thousand feet up you were i was facing a 50 mile an hour headwind and it was and it it increased as i went up so i was kind of scud running i was trying to stay right at about a thousand feet agl um all the way through nebraska or uh, iowa nebraska and i understand if you're not really high up you're not going to pick up the towers but I was picking up traffic, but I was picking up traffic from the airliners above me. So I could see myself. I could see uh, other air, you know, uh, airliners mostly, uh, but I was not getting weather. And uh, once I got into a metro area, like passing Des Moines, Iowa and stuff, I, was, I would pick up weather uh, from a tower. So um, here's just a rough really... rule of thumb for you guys. Uh, if you want to know what your your ground based navigations are going to be for uh, distance wise, uh, if you do the square root of one point five times your altitude above ground, that'll give you your distance that you can pick up something by line of sight. So basically, at about a thousand feet, you're only good for about thirty eight, thirty nine, thirty nine miles. So it's unlikely that you're going to find many of those towers in route between the major metropolitan areas, unless you do get you know. At least another several thousand feet high. Are you doing that math, Gary, while you're flying along? Uh, yeah, I can, you can roughly do that. It's pretty easy, but you know, a thousand feet is good for about thirty-eight miles. About two thousand AGLs good for about fifty-eight miles, something in that neighborhood. I guess it's good just to kind of have something uh, to be aware of. But uh, it's interesting because Jim was saying that um, he was really excited about the XM weather, and that helps me better understand why he was looking forward to that. I never really considered the gaps in weather. I think if you're if you're flying low across uh, a rural part of the country, um, you know, low uh, below um, you know two thousand feet AGL, if you don't have the XM satellite weather, you're not going to get weather. Until you get closer to a major area or just happen to run across the town. Right. Yeah. Well, um, when Gary and I left, uh, Gary left a little bit before I did, uh, but we both had fairly benign winds. The winds were blowing, but they were kind of coming perpendicular to our path. So I don't know how it affected you, Gary, but I had almost a direct crosswind the whole way home. I would see one or two miles an hour a headwind, maybe one or two miles an hour a tailwind, depending on exactly which way I was pointing. Uh, although it didn't really help me, at least it did not slow me down, and so I was glad to have that. Well, I was still going a little bit higher, so I was still getting at least a 10 to 15 mile an hour 
headwind out of it. Although you're right, most of it was in, is a crosswind, but you know, a crosswind also ends up adding in a headwind component to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, did fairly well in weather, uh, fairly benign until I got to Nebraska. And then all of a sudden, my ADSB, uh, the western edge and eastern edge of Colorado, were just blooming with cells. Uh, so I stopped North Platte uh, Regional Airport to pick up some fuel, uh, kind of have a chance to sit on the ground, look at my, my situation, see what I needed to do. I basically ended up going ahead and following an IFR flight plan then from that point to get me back into the metro area. Uh, and they were easy to work with. They were pretty much carte blanche for me to, uh, to vector around the cells. And uh, so that worked out fairly well. Ended up less in the clouds than I anticipated when I looked at it looking west from North Platte. But, so it got in fairly well, uh, relatively uneventful, just a little bit of light precipitation. I'd kind of forgotten what it was like to travel without all those headwinds. It seems that every long trip I've had nothing but headwinds everywhere. I could get used yeah. to that again. It would be nice, wouldn't it? So what about what we weren't able to really cover? I mean, there was a few episodes that I'd hoped to get some uh, podcast material on. Uh, I was looking for some alternative engines for the Sonics. We did one on the Aero Momentum, of course. Um, but the other ones I really looked at was another company called Moto Rav. It's a VW-based electronic ignition. They actually use a low-pressure fuel pump as well as a throttle body injector system to it, um, dual plugs. Uh, it looked like a fairly interesting engine to me. Unfortunately, I couldn't get the, the sales rep to do a podcast. He said only his presence is allowed to uh, do the interview. So that wasn't that wasn't very conducive to our podcast episode. But that was another engine out there. Uh, another one I tried to just hunt down Robert Helms a couple of times. I went to the UL booth that I could find. Uh, they were actually co-located with a new aircraft that's in development. Um to see if I could do an interview with him for perhaps a 260 and maybe even the 350s that I know at least one person is putting into a Sonics aircraft but was not successful. I will try to contact him at a later date and see if perhaps we might be able just to do a separate podcast episode on the UL engines. Yeah, Gary, uh, speaking of that new airplane, uh, that's the Dark One Aero. Uh, it's all carbon fiber. It's sleek. It's uh, very lightweight. They were looking at around a 750-pound empty weight. And this thing is strong. It's rated aerobatic. And they're looking at using the big six-cylinder UL power engine, the 200-horsepower UL engine, and projecting a 275-mile-an-hour cruise. So if anything could tempt you away from a Sonics, that might be a contender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks pretty sweet. No idea when it's actually going to fly or what the price is going to be. They said it'll be there um, flying next year, but we'll see. Yeah, that's all you can say is we'll see. It's interesting, Gary. There were a number of people that uh, just were not interested in doing podcasts. Uh, you try to talk to them, and and it's not like we're trying to pin them down on specifics. We just want to talk to them. And I, I was not really prepared for people that just didn't want to talk to us. Yeah, uh, I'm not real sure what that's about. Um, but anyway, it is what it is. So of the of the things you saw... Let's talk about some of the highlights, just uh, kind of looking back at, on any of the highlights. Um, Gary, what were, what are your hand, what's your short list of highlights? Oh, gosh, you know, I, I'm not sure I really have a short list. Um, I mean, it's always overwhelming to me. I never get to seem to be able to do all the things that I want to do. Uh, the highlights for me, I, I think, still deals with just being able to get together with a Sonics group. 
you know, the pre-show stuff that we got our clan together and the rowdy bunch that went to uh, the restaurant, uh, Jeff's on Rugsby's. Uh, that was a, that was a really nice time. That was a good, good way to start a show. Uh, we ended up spending a lot of time in the evenings just watching some of the air shows, you know, having a beer at some of the local halls. Uh, that's always good stuff to me. I did all the usual stuff, went to the VA Museum, which I, I thoroughly love. As I told you before, I believe it's still a world-class aviation museum. Um, I know, Jeff, you got to do the helicopter ride, and I really enjoyed that when I did that. I didn't do it this year. Um, you know, I Gary, uh, do you want to talk about the little tiki bar at the uh, Sauce Brothers? Uh, yet. No, <laughs> never, not, no, maybe not. Uh, forget it. Um, no, we're okay. <laughs> that was legendary. Go ahead and share, Gary, because we're going to delete this whole part out. Promise. <laughs> yeah, sure you are. <laughs> I, I'm not authorized to do that podcast segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I, I guess if Gary doesn't want to set the record straight, you're just going to have to put it out there for him. No, I, I you know, it, for me, uh, this was a, I, actually, I, I think it was a pretty average uh, air venture for me. It's my eighth year, uh, fifth year coming in with my own airplane um i only i you know tell you the truth i like two days of the show and at, at that I'm, I'm done i've seen everything i need to see i want to just uh you know i've enjoyed it um the food is marginal and i'm ready to get out so i left wednesday morning uh typically as i you know as as i always have been and uh, it was it was good. Um, uh, the the fun of being a, a cub reporter with my uh, media credentials was kind of kind of interesting. Um, I definitely got Sonics's uh, attention. I, a few other vendors that I interviewed, um, you get a little more access, and I hope that uh, everybody appreciates what we did. You know, if they can't go to the show, well, at least we can uh, have them, uh, you know, see the the type of uh, vendor uh, blitz they they put on and and uh, try to sell you their products. Yeah, and I thought that um, sort of having the credentials to to sit down and talk to people uh, did make that a lot easier. So I, I think um, I think that's something we'll try to do again next year. We'll just kind of see how it goes and uh, see if we can get good stuff. That's all we can do. The the one thing I, I tried to do with the uh, the vendors was say, okay, look, I'm not being adversarial here. Give me five minutes to explain why your product should be in a Sonics aircraft, and uh, let's focus on that. And so it was, you know, it wasn't adversarial. It was their opportunity to talk to our science community. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I think it worked well overall. It was a good time. Some of the interesting planes I did see this year, though, I, 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 Kermit Weeks, as probably most of you know, at least heard the, heard the name and seen some of his videos. He brought up several of his World War One aircraft. And there was one of them, a German albatross, that was just absolutely gorgeous, if you remember that one, Jeff. 
That was yeah. the one that looked like it had the wood veneer uh, with nails in it for the fuselage. Uh, gorgeously painted fabric to it. It was just one of those planes you just you just say, wow, that's just incredible. And it looked uh, perfectly authentic, too. It, it did. It was just a beautiful plane. So I really enjoyed that one a lot. I'm, I appreciate him taking the time to to invest his time and money and energy in, into keeping some of these airplanes flying and, and presenting them. I know he went through a lot of trouble to uh, get these planes ready in his Florida base to basically take them apart, truck them up in semis, reassemble them. And I, I think he was supposed to do some flights with it as well. I'm not sure if that actually occurred or not. Um, I also saw some vintage airplanes and travel airs. There were several of them that were lined up. And then uh, the first two of them in particular that I saw were just gorgeous paint jobs, uh, kind of like a, a flying woman with flowing hair holding a, the world globe in her hands. I thought that was really cool. Um, we saw some remarkable stole takeoff, uh, stole aircraft doing some demonstrations um, before the night air show. Uh, our regional night air show did get canceled because of weather, but I was glad to hear that they basically rescheduled it Thursday evening and they made the announcement Thursday morning. I was happy because I figured they were just going to cancel it. Uh, considering how tight their schedules usually are. The only thing which we did see Wednesday night, which is one of the main planes I really wanted to see, was the B-1 bomber. Um, so he was the only one who was flying. He took off, uh, basically put all four of those burn engines into afterburner and circled around the, uh, the, the, the convention grounds uh, as he spiraled up and just took off out through the clouds. And you could just hear him rumbling for just, it seemed like forever, uh, but to see those giant torches and candles coming out the back of that plane, I just thought was awesome. And there's some really good YouTube video of, of that um, circling climb out that he did. Uh, it was super impressive. You know, one of the things I, I noticed um, as a theme kind of coming down uh, with us is the uh, drone technology being applied to passenger aircraft. And uh, there were multiple vendors uh, showing octocopters with passenger cabins. And I think this is going to be a, a huge uh, push in the next couple of years of computer-controlled uh, vertical takeoff and, uh, you know, basically no skill uh, required. Um, take me from here, point A to point B, uh, via the air. Yeah, there is a whole lot of, of interest in that, and we only saw just a, a slice of it at, at AirVenture. But the thing I, I think, they're overestimating how fast they're going to be able to bring those things to market. And a good example of that is one of those octocopter drone things was scheduled to fly from 11 to 11.04, but was canceled due to weather but the ultralight guys were flying that entire time. So the weather was not that significant. Well, plus not only the, the development of the, of the aircraft themselves, but you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, requirement by the FAA to deal with the navigational and in route air structure to accommodate some of those things, especially if you're trying to use them in the urban environment. So we know how long that's going to take. Well, this yeah. is the first year I've noticed uh, you know, a huge presence of those human carrying octocopters. Uh, I haven't seen that before. You know, we've seen 
flying cars and other things. But this is, I think, where uh, where we're going to see a lot of development. Well, hopefully we'll get to see some good uh, flight demonstrations next year when they've got them refined and bring them back and show them off. You know, for me, uh, one of the highlights was seeing that Wilga that had been modified, Draco. That thing was just super impressive. Um, just a, a beast of an airplane, lots of cool modifications. And to watch him basically hanging with the Super Cubs. You know, he's getting off the ground pretty quick. He's landing pretty short. But he's at least twice as heavy as all those Super Cubs. And when he takes off, he sets a 45-degree climb-out deck angle, and he just goes until he's bored with climbing, and then he levels off and flies around. Yeah, it was a massive plane. Pretty impressive, too, though. Yeah, and the noise is pretty good. Yep. Well, guys, that was probably about pretty much most of the highlights for me. Again, great time hanging out with you guys. It's always great to be able to pet and drool over all kinds of airplanes and and, you know, fortunately, we, we didn't have any major problems coming or going, so I'd have to basically consider it another successful air venture, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I, uh, I really enjoyed myself. And then this kind of brings me to, to my final thought, and you guys already touched on it, but hanging out with all the people. You know, we had uh, a great sort of impromptu get-together at the campsite and then dinner with a, with a big crowd, you know, 20 people. We had a great homecoming party. Even though the weather was lousy and no airplanes showed up for the party, there was like 150 people there. So it did not stop people from arriving and just spending three or four hours socializing. So that was a really good time. Then we had the uh, uh, the foundation annual meeting on the flight line by the Sonics booth. That was well attended. We did the, uh, the official business and we talked about a few new initiatives, which we'll probably try to tee up with Mike Farley as a, as a future podcast topic. Wednesday, the barbecue over at Wayne's was a great time. Again, 100-plus people. And even though the night air show was canceled, had a good time just sitting around, catching up with everybody, talking to visitors that come a long way, and they want to come talk Sonics and hang out and soak in airplanes. Uh, and I think the the unofficial count, this is just what I was keeping track of, we had one Sonics builder from the Netherlands, we had five from New Zealand, and at least one each from Great Britain and Australia. So, again, a chance to see some of these other perspectives and talk to people and see what they got going on in their corner of the aviation world. Just a chance to meet up with people in Camp Sonics and to sit down and, and have a, a beverage uh, over dinner to, um, to meet people and see where they're doing in their projects and just really kind of get to know them a little better. That was a great time. I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of, of this year's Air Venture. Okay, so, Mike, um, we understand that when you were getting ready to leave – that you had some excitement trying to get out of Camp Sonic. So tell us about that. I did. Uh, in hindsight, I noticed that uh, the, the first day I was there, that I noticed my uh, left uh, tie-down, wing tie-down, was loose. So, But this was looking back on it, and I thought, well, maybe I just sunk into a hole. No biggie. So uh, by the time I ended up uh, uh, getting squared away, and then Lee getting ready to leave, and all you guys left ahead of me. Uh, I'm driving out, and it felt like I was on ice. And as soon as I got over to the concrete, uh, I realized I had a problem. So uh, I just pulled it over in between a couple of turbo props, and the fun began. So it was just a uh, actually actually it's a, if you're going to have a breakdown, it's a good place to have one because uh, between the uh, the people around there and the uh, you know, down there at the, at the vintage area where they have all the mechanics and so forth. I mean, they just 
everybody, everybody and their brother is trying to help you out. So, did you have to go get a, a new tire or a new tube, or did they repair it on the spot? No, no. I ended up just. Uh, I had a couple. Another friend of mine that has an RV8 came over and looked at it, and he goes, "You know, as far as you're gone, you probably just ought to replace the tire and the tube, and not even just don't even worry about trying to fix it." So, uh, I just uh, went back over to. I got some air, tried to put some air in it. That didn't work. So we had to go back down to the vintage area or the, the emergency repair area, get a jack. So the only one they had left was a scissors jack and, and a milk carton to put it up on top. And then, uh, so I got that, brought that back down. And then by that time, Carl was there with his, with Scott, with his uh, brother-in-law. And, uh, we just pulled the tire off and took it straight over. I, I just went straight over Sonic's. And Sonics called over there, and they had a tube and a tire, and they ran it over there, and we swapped it out right there behind their building, their little shack there, and uh, ran it back over and put it on. And I was probably, I probably left about one o'clock, maybe one fifteen, maybe something like that. So uh, it was a lot of logistics issues. I was, you know, because we're in one end, and then the the emergency repair place is at the other, and the air tank this comes from the other place, and so uh, it's kind of a Juggling around, but thanks to Carl, he mentored me through, so I we got it done. So now I'm lopsided. I have one slick tire on and one <laughs> Sonics tire on, so so to speak. Better to have that breakdown right there in front of the uh, the crowd at Oshkosh than in small town Iowa, someplace. That's true. So, Mike, well, did you yes? Did you look at your tire? Mm-hmm. What what happened? Did it, did, well, did you get sliced? Did you get punctured? What happened? It, it it got punctured. We went back and I pulled it out, and uh, we were doing some other things. And you know, Steve came out and he looked at it, and there is a there is a sliver. It's like a piece of metal that's that punctured it. I think it. I think something happened when I crossed that bridge, because I noticed that I noticed the the, the rope sagging within the same day, you know, and I'm just thinking, I don't, I don't think it sank that far into the mud. You know what I mean? So, uh, I think when I went across that ditch or our little, our little, uh, bridge, I think that might've been where I, and they said, uh, the guys told me the guys that helped me out there, they said there was a, had been a rash of flat tires in our area. So, uh, guys having low, uh, just t- low tire pressure and also flats. So I don't know. First time for me. So didn't think mm. it would be that. Didn't think it would be that. <laughs> you know, Mike, uh, we put out those uh, aerial denial systems to keep the RV guys out. You weren't supposed to hit them. I know. That's true. <laughs> that was to protect us from the RVs, not to get your tire flattened. So next time, <laughs> I don't, I don't, you got to swerve. I don't know if that was in. I don't know if that was <laughs> it or not, but that was, it, you know, it could have been. So <laughs> I don't know where else I would have hit something, you know, so. So you left at at like one o'clock. Did you, did you make it all the way home, or did you have to stop? And no, no. I well, there was a bunch of weather uh, west of Omaha, so I stopped uh, like Harlan, Iowa, which is just you know thirty miles from Omaha. So I spent the night there, and then I I got up. Uh, actually, what's the I got up yesterday morning and flew kind of a zigzag pattern. I had to. There was weather moving back. There was weather still around Omaha, so I had to get around that stuff. And then I just, uh, ended up, uh, you know, going a little bit North around their class C and then down South and then started trying to go to North Platte. And then all, because there was weather in the, in the Kansas and Nebraska, but it was moving Southeast pretty quick. 
but they was it was leaving IFR uh, conditions behind it. So I flew. I was on top at like forty five hundred feet, and I ended up in, in a, all the airports underneath me were, were IFR for probably hundred miles. So, uh, but then I kind of veered to south. I ended up at uh, Colby, uh, Kansas, just east of Goodland. And uh, so that was a that was about a two hour and forty minute flight there. So from uh, from Iowa. So uh, then I just did the last. Uh, that, that it was probably an hour and forty minutes over to to uh, Meadow Lake from there. So the rest of it was uneventful. So yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good thing you had your buddy tank. Uh, this sounds like you needed the extra range. Oh yeah, that buddy tank worked really well. It was it was uh, worth its weight in gold, no doubt. And I uh, I forgot to mention this earlier. We um, we did lock in the wing tank deal so that's happening um we're working on getting the uh the bulk purchase all lined up so if anybody has not expressed interest in getting in on wing tanks now's your chance you need to send me an email so what's the what's the deal with that one i saw your email and glanced at it yeah um it's just uh the 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 final price will really depend on the total number but um looks like we're going to hit that under 1500 target um okay so anyway, it's it's going well. It's just now it's at the point where people who are interested um, need to basically put their hand up and commit. So, right, right, okay, good. All right. So um, as we as we close this out, Mike, um, just give me your <laughs> your really short list of your highlights for the show. The night air show was pretty cool uh, when they when it finally went on. You know, Thursday night. Uh, you know, just. Looking looking around for stuff for my airplane, I guess that was that was pretty interesting. I ended up ended up uh, putting an order in with Grand Rapids on the before in the morning before I left. So oh, good, yeah. <clears throat> but anyhow, so uh, yeah, I don't know. It just uh, I just I just enjoyed getting together and seeing everybody. I saw like you know probably eight or ten different friends from eight or ten different lifetimes, so to speak. You know, so that's always pretty fun. People you don't get to see all the time, so. I would say that more it was more highlight with more social highlight this time probably than uh, than uh, actual buying things you know other than I just bought some at the end so yeah but, no uh, I agree um, getting to see everybody was definitely my favorite part right I think so can't can't think about it. you know other than that just just getting there and getting back was it's always a challenge and it's but it's fun and and uh, that was my first solo ride home John left me you know so <laughs> all right. I left you because you didn't leave with me. Right, right. There you go. Right. He didn't abandon you. He just snuck off in the middle of the night. He did. If I'd have left you, or if I would have left with you, I would have had no weather issues, probably. Although I, I told you had, when I, I was still leaving, would have had to, but I still would have had the flat tire. <laughs> and you and you left me anyhow. I would have left you in a heartbeat. That's right. <laughs> I'm not messing with this. That's your problem. I'm heading out. <laughs> I know. I'm sure you would have. <laughs> That's the way it goes. Actually, I, I actually have an extra tube in my airplane and a inflator. And so I would have given you that and then just jumped in my plane and took off. Well, I think that's what, what's going to happen here. If I figure out that if I get that other tube fixed, uh, that's got to be my spare. That's going to be in my uh, kit for sure. So, uh, you know, with something to be able to blow it up and stuff. So. Probably a good idea. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. It was great talking to you again. Good seeing you. Especially appreciated the hospitality again, Jeff, for letting me crash at your house. So 
that Friday night in Kansas City. I'm sorry to keep you up so late, but uh, that's the way it is when you got a slow airplane. Well, you know, and Gary, I'm glad you brought that up because for any of my Kansas City flying buddies that are listening, uh, Gary made that arrival well after dark into the black hole that is Roosterville, flew the pattern, and landed uh, precisely exactly where he needed to on a dark runway in Roosterville. So for all you people that are scared to come into Roosterville, Gary did it for the first time with his eyes closed. So there. That's only 20 feet wide with like every other every other landing light lit. <laughs> and actually, Gary, it was really impressive to see your um, plane coming in, and you, you basically put it down exactly where you wanted to with no effort at all. So that was pretty cool. Yep, it worked out pretty good. I was glad I kept a little altitude because I told you I figured you were going to have some trees right there at the end. And sure enough, as I got close enough to them, I saw them whiz, whiz below me. So that worked out well. All right, guys, thanks again. Uh, appreciate everything you did, uh, all the the running around and getting in people's faces to try to record some interesting segments. I think this went exceedingly well. I hope you guys listening enjoyed it. And um, if you have some thoughts, send us an email, and uh, we will try to work those thoughts and, and suggestions into future topics. With that, um, I think uh, we got a lot of work to do later this summer and, and uh, into the fall. We got a lot of great topics all lined up. So um, I can't wait to get to them all. All right, guys. See you all later. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Thanks. All right. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. See y'all later. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay. Got it. Good. Hey. Mike. <laughs> you made it. So what? I Mike, made it for I made it for nothing. No, you can defend yourself. All those dirty remarks we said about you. Yeah, Whoa. Right. Mike's here? <laughs> well, how long have you been there? I just came on just now, so like I, was, I told him I was going to be late. You're 34 so I, minutes late, buddy. I am. I know. <laughs> I know. I can't help it. I was uh, out running. Around. All right, start it up again. We got to talk about his flat tire. <laughs> <laughs> you have to put that in the mix somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. 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 So, Mike, um, we understand that when you were getting ready to leave, that you had some excitement trying to get out of Camp Sonic. So, tell us about that.